0: Good morning, Maple Grove. All right. Hey, uh, I want to read a few passages, and then we'll pray into our conversation for this morning. Uh, The first passage is 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. Uh, Paul writes, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful, uh, someone say, and is is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so the servant of god may be thoroughly equipped for every good work next passage from first peter for all people all people right the rich the poor the young the old the ruler the citizen the strong the weak the famous the unknown for all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is a word that was preached to you. And the novel from Peter in the second letter, Above all you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we humbly come into your presence. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that is living and active, that is useful, that endures forever. And Father, I pray this morning as we lean into your word, our hearts and minds will be open to it. And help me to share it in a way. That brings you honor. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me tell you where we're heading for the next several weeks in our conversations on Sunday. We're going to jump back in our verse-by-verse study of Matthew in January. Picking up where we left off in Matthew chapter 11. Now, the break for Matthew is longer than I thought it would be. However, the importance of the series we did on grace... Was really driven home to me, how important it was on that last Sunday when we talked about how grace is greater than our circumstances. Every week, we gather in this room, and we bring stuff with us. Right? We can smile on the outside, but inside, we all have struggles, right? If you ever wondered if you're alone in your struggles, maybe this will remind you that you're not. Now someone wrote on this card, Grace is greater than my anger. Grace is greater than infertility, than my fear, than my anxiety, than my imposter syndrome at work. Grace is greater than my overwhelming family mistakes. Grace is greater than my depression. Grace is greater than my broken relationship with my kids. Grace is greater than the hurtful things that my son said to me. Grace is greater than my relationship struggles with my mom, the behavior issues with my child, the brokenness in our family. Grace is greater than my feelings of not being enough. Someone wrote, Lord, please help me to not feel so weak and useless. Grace is greater than my pride. Grace is greater than my shame, my insecurity. Grace is greater than my fear of rejection, than my failures in marriage, than my failures as a parent, than my passivity, than my selfishness, than my lack of love for others, and my lackluster love for God. Grace is greater than my my mistakes, weaknesses, and failures. Grace is greater than my insecurities and feeling like I'm never enough. Grace is greater than my weaknesses and insecurities. Grace is greater than my miscarriage. Grace is greater than my worries. Grace is greater than my mind, my insecurities, my worries, my past, my mistakes, my shame, my sin, my failure, my hurt. Greater than everything. Grace is greater than not feeling like I'm good enough. Feeling like I'm disappointing those around me. Grace is greater than my shame. Just a few. And every week. Every week, right? Every week. On that Sunday, every week, those who wrote those cards, we all gather in this room. We all, we all sang praises of God, and we all brought her in with us. And though that series is over, I'm here to tell you this morning that grace is still greater than. Amen? amen. It's still greater than. I'm going to take a moment and just pray briefly. Lord, every card represents a person Every hurt represents something that you see and that you care about. And God, though this was written maybe three weeks ago, may those who wrote it and those who maybe didn't write but had a desperate need, may they realize, Lord, that you are the answer and that your grace is greater than anything. And I pray that your grace will overcome every lie the enemy longs to throw at us. In Jesus' name, amen. That's us, right? That's the church. Uh, the church is full of broken, hurting people because we live in a broken, falling world. Amen? And we want to be a place where we get honest about that, right? We want to be able to get real so that we can get better. Amen? Not the, that's not a downer, right? That's not a downer. That's encouraging, right? That, that we have a place to go with our hurt. When the world doesn't have the same place. We have a God who sees and cares and act. The world doesn't. So it's, it's not a downer. It's just reality. But Jesus is always the answer. And God's grace is always enough. And, and so like I said. We're going to jump back in January to our Matthew series. Um, beginning of next week I'm going to do a Christmas series. You know they're going to decorate the church after service. And it'll look really pretty. So I almost have to talk about Christmas right. And, and so it's going to be the messages of Christmas. Five messages. Destiny obedience, salvation, God, and worship, right? We're going to talk about those things. And this morning what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to pull one of those statements off the banner this morning and we're going to, we're going to talk about it. Uh, those banners have been hanging up since the spring of 2014. And what I want us to do is to is pull a statement off that banner and I want us to to look at it and and say, hey, why is that important? What does it mean, and are we actually doing it, right? And, and so, actually, all the 2024, probably once a month, I'm going to pull something off that banner and have us talk about it, right? Because it, it's great on the banner. It's, we got those awesome things we paid for out front. I don't know how much I paid for those things. They're a lot of money. They look so good out there, right? And, and, but if we're not living it, then it's just a, it's a banner, right? So we're going to be doing that. And in fact, the first Sunday of the, of the new year, on the 7th of January, we're going to look at one of our mission statements. Uh, like Jesus, we, we make disciples. And, and, and listen, actually, practically, and intentionally making disciples is something I'm starting to get really, really fired up about. Uh, this past Sunday, this past week, I drove down to Raleigh, North Carolina to attend an event sponsored by discipleship.org. Uh, the event was called Intentionally, intentionality in making disciples hundreds of people men and women church leaders from all over the southeast were there talking about being intentional in making disciples and one of the things they kept hammering again and again and again is that Sunday morning preaching, worship and programs no matter how great they are do not make disciples do not make disciples that's not where it happens it happens in relationships. It happens in doing it the way that, that Jesus did. And, and so I, I want to encourage you to be in prayer. And the cool thing is this, the, the way this thing went down, we had like four sessions on Thursday. I had something on Wednesday night as well, but four sessions. And the way it worked is we had four TED-style TED style talks. And, and then uh, these guys sat up in these chairs and kind of talked about what they just talked about. And then we sat around these round tables, and then we talked about what they talked about together. Like, hey, what are you doing? What do you think is going on? And it was incredible. A few weeks from now, they're going to make those videos available. And we're gonna, I'm going to show those videos. Open invitation. Anybody who wants to meet with me and talk about how we can be a church that makes disciples who make disciples, right? And so... And that's all I'm going to say about this for now because I'm going to talk about it in January and we're going to talk about it in 2024 and beyond. I mean, that's what we want to be about as a church, as a church who makes disciples, who make disciples. Amen? A few quick announcements, a take-two, then we'll dive into our study this morning, The Bible is Our Authority. As we mentioned last Sunday, um, next week we vote on our budget for the year 2024. And I want to give you a quick summary, and this is quick, but I made a really cool picture. I'm proud of my picture. See what I do? I grab images and go to PowerPoint and make a picture, and I'm just so proud. I'm so proud of that. But anyhow, anyhow. This is our giving and spending the last 12 months. That includes, you know, December of last year, because December of this year hasn't happened yet, right? And so our income during those last 12 months was, you can see right there, 312 in change. Expenses 314 in change. All right? Okay. Next slide. Current assets. Uh, In reserves through uh, Christian Financial Resources, through Atlantic Union Bank, and money market CDs, yada yadas, right? Um, We have about 260 k in reserves, right? And we have reserves because sometimes you have money, sometimes you don't, right? Like every family has a fund set aside for emergencies, we have that as well. Um, Our current mortgage on land and property it's pretty awesome, right? It's 198K. That's all we owe on everything here. Can you imagine what it would cost to build this building or to buy these eight acres of land today? All right, next slide. Boom. Here we go. This is our budget from last year. And we have those little inserts you can pick up. They were available last week. Hannah sent them in an the email, so did I. There's our budget from last year. You can see the amount, the weekly need was this. Um, the budget for this year is slightly more, just a little bit. If you do the math, it's crazy. If you subtract this from that, it's $2,666 more this year. Woo! Okay. We almost wanted to change it because of that, but we said, you know what? We're not as scared of no numbers, right? So anyhow, next week, if you're 16 and over, it's just going to be a simply yes or no vote on this budget, right? And when you're voting, you're actually saying, hey, I'm going to help make the budget happen. Does that make sense? If you have any questions, we'll be in the uh, living room afterwards. You can call me on the phone. um, And that's about it. One more very important announcement, very spiritual announcement. Um, (laughs) I have declared, you know, the first Tuesday of every month, men's wing night at B-dubs, right? Some of you guys have already invited. A bunch of guys said they're coming. And 6.30 B-dubs. The only agenda is to eat wings and Whatever happens, happens, right? And I want to encourage you guys. My wife is telling me, because her and my daughter live at B-Dubs on Tuesdays. It, it, if you have, you go there, you get 50% off. If you have the app, it's buy one, get one free. You can buy six wings, get six for free. That's 12 wings, drink water. It's pretty cheap, all right? And, and so, or get 12 wings. You could date somebody that night. I could be, Mike could date. Hey, Mike, I buy this time, you buy next time, whatever. But the goal is just, we're going to hang out eat some wings, and just have some fun together. If you can make it, great. But the first Tuesday of every month is now declared as Men's Wing Night at Maple Grove at B-Dubs. All right? So if you can make it, great. It'll be awesome. I'm going to be there. And amen. All right. Hey, as we begin our our study of the Bible, it is our authority. I, I want us to take a look at a powerful event that happened in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Now, Chronicles is a book in the Old Testament that's part of a section of the Old Testament called the books of history, right? Remember the Old Testament has has five sections. You have books of law, books of history, books of poetry, major prophets, and minor prophets. This is, Chronicles is is one of the books of history. And the year is about 626 B.C., uh, the northern kingdom is gone. It's been defeated by the Syrians 100 years earlier. All that remains is Judah, Judea, the southern kingdom. Josiah is the king, and he's 26 years old, and he's been king for about 18 years. Yeah, that's right. If you did the math, 26 minus 18 equals 8. Good job. <laughs> Some were scared to say it. Equals 8. And that means that Josiah became king when he was just eight years old. Could you imagine being a king of a nation when you're eight years old? Or can you imagine having one of your sons be the king of a nation when he was eight years old? Again, when he was eight years old, he became king. When he was 16 years old, he began to follow God. and he was 20 years old, he began to remove all of the false gods and idols throughout the nation. By the way, that's the exact same thing. And he grinded them to powder, which is what Moses did. Remember when Moses came down from Mount Sinai in Exodus 32? And he finds the people worshiping a calf. He breaks the stone tablets with God's commands. He takes the golden calf. He grinds it to powder. And he made the first energy drink. He sprinkled the water, and he made all the people drink it. Uh, uh, Moses is pretty, pretty cool. Um, now, here's how Scripture, or how God... Summarize the life and reign of Josiah. He did what the Lord said was right. He lived as his ancestor David had lived. He did not stop doing what was right. 2 Chronicles 34 verse 2. Now when he's 26 years old, he makes another decision that would have a great impact on his life and the life of the nation. A decision to repair and purify God's temple. It was during this time of repairing and purifying that Josiah found something hidden under the debris that had been lost for many years. Here's what we read beginning at verse 34, 2 Chronicles 34, verse 24. As they were doing this, Hokiah the priest found the book of the Lord's teaching that had been given through Moses. Hokiah said to Shaphan, the royal secretary, I found the book of the teachings in the temple of the Lord. Then he gave it to Shaphan. Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to Josiah, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read the book to the king. When the king heard the words of the teachings, he tore his clothes to show how upset he was. And though Josiah says to Hilkiah the priest, hey, grab a few guys, and go and ask the Lord about the words in the book that was found. Ask for me and for the people who are left alive in Israel and Judah. The Lord is very angry with us because our ancestors did not obey the Lord's word. They did not do everything this book says to do. And so Elkiah and his guys head over to the home of a prophets named Huldah to find out what the Lord has to say about this. Here's what she told them. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I will bring trouble to this place and to the people living here, I will bring all the curses that are written in the book that was read to the king of Judah. Curses? What curses? Well, if we rewind the tape about 700 years to chapters 28 and 27, Deuteronomy, we see it's Israel, it's right before they go to enter the promised land, and, and Moses, who wasn't allowed to enter the promised land, gathers all the people And he told them, hey, when you get into this new land, a land that God prepared and that God has given you, I want six tribes to stand on Mount Ebal, six tribes to stand on Mount Gerizim, and I want the priests with the Ark of the Covenant standing in the valley between them. And on that day, I want you to pronounce the curses for disobeying God and the blessings for obeying God. By the way, there are 14 blessings mentioned and 40 plus curses mentioned according to my count. And then Moses concludes that conversation with the following words. And though they were written about 3,400 years ago, they still have great meaning for us today. So I really want you to lean into these words. They're so, so powerful. Here's what Moses says to them. Look, today I offer you life and success. Like it? Death and destruction. I command you today to love the Lord your God. To do what he wants you to do and to keep his commandments, his laws, and his rules. Then you will grow, then you will live and grow in number, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to take as your own. But if you turn away from the Lord and do not obey him, if you're led to bow down and serve other gods, I tell you today that you'll surely be destroyed, and you'll not live long in the land. You're crossing the Jordan River to enter and take as your own. Today, I ask heaven and earth to be witnesses. I'm offering you life or death, blessings or cursing. Now choose life. Then you and your children may live. To choose life is to love the Lord your God, obey him, and stay close to him. He is your life, and he'll let you live many years in the land. He promised to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now choose life. Then you and your children may live. To choose life is to love the Lord your God, obey him, and stay close to him. He is your life. What powerful words. I mean, could you imagine being there and, and, and hearing Moses speak them? But unfortunately, By the times of the days of Josiah, because of their disobedience and rebellion, God's people were not experiencing his blessings. They were experiencing his curses. Things were not going well. Again, northern kingdom was gone. There's been much bloodshed and devastation. And Babylon was coming. The temple would be destroyed. The walls would be torn down. Okay, now back to 2 Chronicles 34. Hilkiah, the priest, and his guys are listening to Huldah, the prophetess. She says, this is what the Lord says. The people of Judah have left me and have burned incense to other gods. They made me angry by all the evil things they have made. So I will punish them in my anger, which will not be put out. Whew. Tell the king of Judah, who sent you to ask the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the words you heard. When you heard my words against this place and its people, you became sorry for what you had done and you humbled yourself before me. You tore your clothes to show how upset you were and you cried in my presence. This is why I've heard you, says the Lord. Like like Josiah, he was devastated when he read about how God's people had been disobedient to the word of God. She continues, so I'll so God says, so I will let you die and be buried in peace. You won't see all the trouble I will bring to this place and the people living here. So he took her message back to the king. Then the king gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem together. He went up to the temple of the Lord, and all the people from Judah and from Jerusalem went with him. The priests, the Levites, and all the people from the most important to the least important went with him. And he read to them all the words in the book of agreement that was found and the treasure, and the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar, and he made an agreement in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to obey his commands, rules, and laws with his whole being, and to obey his word that were written in the book. The Josiah made all the people in Jerusalem and Benjamin promise to accept the agreement. Now, that never works, right? So The people of Jerusalem obeyed the agreement of God and the God of their ancestors. Man, that's some powerful stuff. I mean, God's word had been lost for about 70 years, buried in the debris because God's temple had been neglected for all those years as the nation carried on with other gods and bowed down to idols. Like, how did that happen? Probably gradual and over time. You see, Josiah's great-grandfather was Hezekiah, a good king. His father Amnon and his grandfather Manasseh were both evil kings who led the people to bow down and worship idols and false gods. Again, it probably started small, like a slow fade. People began to gradually forget about and and rely less and less on God's word. Sure, they still gathered at the temple, but God's word was seldomly heard. And before you know it, the entire generation had fallen away Choosing to go their own way in the way of the world rather than God's. And eventually no one even went to the temple to worship anymore. And so the temple fell apart because of neglect. And even when they did go, God's word was no longer spoken. It had become lost. Question, could that ever happen today? Where people can gather to worship God and his word is not really spoken... Or people do not even know what's in the book, and therefore follow their own ways or the ways of our world. But listen, even though the nation had forgotten and no longer read God's word, they were still under the authority of that word. Get it? Good. Maple Grove, it's December 3rd, 2023, and today we're looking at our number one core value, we honor biblical authority. We honor biblical authority. And understand, just as a developed core is essential for a strong physical body, because everything we do from sitting, standing, everyday tasks, to sports, and other activities either originate from or flow through the core, in like manner, a defined and developed spiritual core is essential for a strong church. Because everything we do or believe originates or goes through our core. And a weak or undeveloped core Or, wrongly developed core will lead a church to ineffectiveness, loss of truth, and loss of mission. We honor biblical authority. Listen, I cannot think of anything that you and I could put at the center of our spiritual core and life that will have a greater positive impact on us individually or collectively than making this book our authority. And what I want to do right now is I want to look at that four word statement a few words at a time, beginning with the word authority. Someone say authority. authority. How does that word make you feel? Well, it depends on which side you're on, right? Are you the one who has authority, or are you the one that's under authority, right? That kind of makes a difference. Here's some definition of authority I found online the power right to control, judge, or prohibit the actions of others. The power to enforce laws, exact obedience, command, determine or judge. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? Again, what side are you on? Here's the bottom line as I see it. When it comes to authority, regardless of how we define it, we all know what it is. I mean, we know what it is at home, at school, work, the highway, a sporting event. We know what it is to be like, don't you love refs? Goodness gracious got to train them NFL refs a little bit better. If we're honest, most of the time we're all not that fond of authority. And listen, even when we choose to ignore authority, it does not mean that we're not still under that authority. I mean, that's what the people discovered in Josiah's day, right? Listen, saying, hey, the book was lost. Hey, Priest Bob never told us about that stuff. Did not get them off the hook. They were still under the authority of the Word of God, whether they knew it, acknowledged it, or not. I discovered something very similar a few weeks back when I was driving down Highway 29. I was driving down Kohl's, listening to some good music. That's not me, but it could have been me. And, 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 and when well, the guy pulled me over, I said, did you, like, clock me? He goes, no, I was driving behind you. I go, Really? I should have been looking at my rear mirror, shouldn't I? You know, I didn't see the guy. It's like, okay. And now I'm going, like, who's passing me? Right, my car, you know, is it easy. easy? You know, I've got my flags and my submarine sticker on there. Oh, there's Pastor Steve pulled over, right? I can say, hey, I, I'm sorry. I do not acknowledge your authority. No, I didn't say that. It's like, you know what? I may, I may forgot about it. I may ignored it. I may neglected it. But guess what? I was still under that authority, and he let me know right away, right? Same thing with God, right? Now, now, why is authority such an issue with us? Let me suggest a few reasons. Number one, we're sons of Adam. The first couple were lawbreakers. Ever since then, the image of God in us has been painted. I mean, which is easier for you to do? To rebel or submit to authority? Pride's another reason. See, every one of us thinks or thought at times that those in authority over us are just not as smart as we are. And if somehow we were in charge, if we were in charge, bottom line, we're prideful. And do like other people telling us, telling us what to do. Another reason it's an issue is because we're in the backside of the 60s and 70s. Where the thing to do was to question authority and to rebel against the man, whoever the man was, until that is you grew up and became the man, right? And it may come as a shock to you, but I was actually born in the 60s and raised in the 70s. And I had a really hard time with authority. Basically, the authority in my life was the three pounds of gray matter between my ears. Like whatever I felt, whatever I thought was true or false, right or wrong, let it be written. Which ran into many runs with my parents, uh, with teachers and administrators, administrators in my high school, with a police officer or two, even with a judge in a courtroom at one time. Buy me a coffee, I'll tell you that story. Basically, I was a punk. Fortunately, after high school, I went into the Navy. In less than 24 hours, I realized, hey, you know what? There's an authority in the barracks, and that authority is definitely not me, right? And more fortunately, the Navy for this punk kid was the day I surrendered to the highest authority and gave my life to Jesus, was baptized into his name for forgiveness of my sins on December 30th, 1979, the next to last day of the 70s, which I think is kind of poetic. Your rebellion ended when... uh, We live in a culture also that praises civil disobedience and kind of ignores civil obedience. Like, when's the last time you saw a story, hey, here's Joe! He's a great guy. He pays his taxes. He loves his family. Works hard. Another reason we have an issue is we've seen authority abused. Your parents were harsh. Teachers unfair. Your coach was brutal. Your boss was an incompetent dictator. Your church was full of legalism and rules. Another reason we're selfish people. You see, most of our rebellion is not for some great cause. Most of our rebellion is about us. And it's about you and I being able to do or not do whatever we want, right? Get it? Good. Here's my definition of authority. To be in charge, to determine what is right and what is wrong, and how others must act and behave. To have the power to correct, punish, and reward those who are under it, okay? Uh, The next word, two words will come quick. Uh, The word we, and that we would be us. Be me, that be you, all of us. I uh, understand, according to Jesus, being a Jesus follower is not simply about our own individual pursuit of spiritual growth. Like we are not independent franchise owners of a parent company called Jesus. Amen. Scripture says we are part of one body. We're members of one family, Amen. I'm sure everything about his church is intended to be a we thing. And it does not work if everybody's doing their own thing. I mean, imagine if the 11 guys on offense in a football game all decided they're going to run their own play. Right now, it looks like the Patriots are doing that. I hope it's not true, right? It's looking that way, right? But it'd be crazy, right? Everybody say, hey, I'm going to run my own playbook. I got my playbook. You got your playbook. Tight has got his playbook. Running back's got his playbook. That'd be insane, Listen, the kingdom does not work, church does not work, unless we're all operating under the same playbook. If we operate under different authorities, it gets nuts. Get it? Good. Honor. We honor biblical authority. To honor means we, it means we, we give it value. We submit to it. We follow it. We respect it. And we demonstrate by our response that we view it as being worthy of our obedience. And listen, we, you and I, cannot separate honoring God with honoring his word. If you dishonor God's word, you are dishonoring God. If we dishonor God's word, we are dishonoring God. Get it? Good. I know y'all don't want it, but I'm glad you got it. Next word, biblical. Moving right along. Our number one core value is not to honor just any authority, but to honor, give value to, submit to, follow, respect, demonstrate by response that it's worthy of our obedience, biblical authority. And listen, believing in and following the wrong authority often takes us to places we never intended to go. Case in point. Thursday night, driving home from Raleigh, North Carolina. I decided to put myself under the authority of my GPS. I don't drive so well at night anymore. I want to go highway the whole time. One, 85, 95, 64, I'll be home. Broad, wide roads, lots of light. My GPS said, get off 85. Okay, he said, get off 85. I'll get off 85. An hour later, like, I, 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 I called my wife. I said, I am on a journey from hell. Like it was narrow roads, it was gravel roads. I made like forty. Like where am I? There's like a car following me like for forty five minutes. No one can be making those turns unless they're going to kill me. (laughs) That's a good thing I got my gun under the seat because I think I may need it this time. And I came to this thing. I thought the road was actually closed. I dead stopped it. It's like wait a second. That's these two narrow tunnels with all these anarchy symbols as I drove through it. It was terrible. Hey, but it told me to go. (laughs) Again, the wrong authority can get you a place you don't want to go. Now, you would think and assume and hope and expect that everyone who follows Jesus would make the Bible their authority, wouldn't you? It's not true. Uh, One of the stats these guys talked about is at a Barna survey that said about 68% of Americans claim to be Christians, right? 68%. Of the sixty-eight percent, how many do you think of them claim to have a biblical worldview? The Bible's the word of God; the Bible's the authority. How many think? Of six. Six percent. Six percent of the sixty-four. That means ninety-four percent of people who claim Jesus do not have a biblical worldview. They're following the wrong GPS. Why are things so crazy in our world? Because six-eight percent of Christians have their own GPS or the phone in the world's GPS. Now, what does it mean to honor biblical authority? It means to make the Bible nothing else, not human philosophy, not a secular worldview, not another person, not a pastor, not a teaching, not media, not social media. And not Hollywood, not a talk show host, not a politician, not a college professor, it means to make the Bible and nothing else our highest authority for our life in this church. It's it, it's the Bible. Number two, it means that whenever we find ourselves disagreeing with the Bible, it's because we are wrong. And whenever our culture, whenever society disagrees with the Bible, it's because culture is wrong, it's because society is wrong. We get to choose our GPS, right? Everybody's got one. You're gonna be under somebody's authority. Some of you are under authority of your gray matter. That's not so good. The Bible's the best authority. Two views of the Bible. And one view of the Bible is is, is to be is to be over it, right? I'm over the Bible. If I don't like it, I can ignore it. If I find it inconvenient, I can alter it, edit it, revise it, twist it, reshape it, update and modernize it, modernize it. I can do whatever I please with this book because I'm over it. That's like treating the Bible like it's a word about God rather than a word from God. That's like treating the Bible like it's a something written by a bunch of guys sitting around a campfire rather than the Word of God. That's like treating the Bible like it's the way we treat Netflix or an all-you-eat buffet. Hey, I'll watch what I want to watch. I'll put on my plate what I want to put on my plate. And unfortunately, mankind has been doing this, no doubt inspired by Satan, has been doing this, this exercise in authority of the Bible and putting their own spin on God's Word It's just a garden. Did God really say, did God really say I can't eat fruit from the middle of the garden? Now surely God wouldn't kick me out of the garden just for eating a piece of fruit. I can't believe in a God who would actually do that. Did God really say, did God really say that that sexual activity is reserved for man and woman in the covenant? Merit, did God really say did God really say that what's inside a woman's womb is a life he created and that he's actually knitting at that very moment did God really say did God really say we have to forgive those who hurt us did God really say we have to love our enemies did God really say that he created them male and female did God really say I think we've all wrestled with things in god's word haven't we i know i have i gotta love my enemies and do good to him i'd rather smack them i gotta pray for him can i pray some of those david prayers may have fleas of a thousand camels infest your armpits kind of prayers i like being this part this part i'm not so sure but listen we i didn't understand that to reject some of it to ignore any of it to refuse to obey part of it, in God's eyes, is to reject all of it. To reject some of it, to ignore any of it, to refuse to obey part of it, in God's eyes, is to reject all of it. It's December 3rd, 2023. Today, I want to remind us, myself included, that our number one core value is honor biblical authority. And again, just because we may not know or agree with or accept it does not mean that we're not still under the authority of it. And brothers and sisters, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in heaven and earth that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of the Father, right? He's in charge. The cop was in charge. I may not, I may thought I was in charge how fast I was going. Not really. Not really. I mean, maybe some of us, God needs to pull us over and say, really? You, th- you thought you were in charge of your finances? You thought you were in charge of your sex life? You thought you were in charge of how you treat other people? You thought you were in charge of how you use your tongue? You thought you were in charge of how you forgive other people? Let me write you a ticket. Or better yet, because I'm a God of grace and patience, let me give you a warning. I say, how about driving slower and put your seatbelt on, idiot, and get those headphones out of your ears and listen to music because you don't have a stereo. Who would do that, right? And looks like those who have before us the last 2,000 years, we won't always get it right. We're not always living out perfectly. But our goal is to live our lives individually as a church under and not over the Bible. It's not treat the Bible like Netflix or the you Grill, picking and choosing what we want to do or not want to do. And I realize that our culture today and society and our country that making the Bible our absolute authority, it's not very popular or politically correct. We have to choose, do we want to be biblically correct or politically correct? Very seldom are they going to agree. And And I realize that many times we who claim to be Christians really have no intentionality, no intention of actually living under this book so we don't read it, right? (laughs) I didn't read it, so I didn't know. Oh, well, you... And this is this mindset towards the Bible of writing the Bible in our own image. It's not new. It even existed in the first century. Paul was writing to Timothy, a guy he set aside to um, lead the church in Ephesus, and here's what he said to Timothy. And and the presence... I'm reading the two verses before this, one and two. In the presence of God and of Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. In other words, when people want to hear it, and they like what you say, and when they don't like what you say, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. This book is the Word of God. It's not something under us, it's something over us. It's not something we have authority over, it's something we submit in authority to. It's not something we get to revise, alter, update, modernize, or edit. I mean, think about it. Finite, falling, frail human beings like you and I, editing the creator of the universe, editing the all-knowing God? Are you kidding me? Here's the bottom line. I I don't feel free to edit God with my three-pound brain. I I may not be smart, but I'm smart enough to know I'm not that smart. Amen? (laughs) Amen. This book is our authority. Now why is honor biblical authority so critical? Three reasons. This has come pretty quick. because we love Jesus. Here's what Jesus said in John 14:23. I don't know why I said 23, 23. maybe like 23 a lot. who knows? Never blame my slide people. It's me. Uh, I'm the mistake maker. Oh, that's not even the same verse. What? The, what is going on there? I, I really messed up there. Alright. Cool. I'm going to read it to you. It's in your Bibles. Check it out. Find it. Google it. All right, here, here's what he said. Jesus said to his guys, night of his arrest, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and Make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. You know, know, so when I decide to do something I know is wrong, I can do it anyhow, you know what I'm saying? Jesus, I don't love you. I don't love you. I, I love my unforgiveness more. I love my anger more. I love my pride more. I love my selfishness more than you, Jesus. I love my sexual desires more than you, Jesus. That's what we're saying, Right? But we love Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I want to obey you because you're awesome and amazing because you love me. You die for me. There's no one like you. No one pursues me like you do. Another reason is because it's inspired by God and is useful. All scriptures God breathed useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now understand, for the Bible to be useful, we must read it we must study it and do our best to live by it, right? Not rocket science. And listen, reading and studying the Bible will change our lives. You know, as I sat around these various tables Wednesday night and, and Thursday, hearing speakers sitting around meeting some new guys and, and you know, who have been, getting people to read the Bible. Like, that's what they, we want people to read the Bible. and Read the Bible every day. I mean, just like read the Bible, read the Bible. They're like, just read the Bible? Like, we're, just read the Bible. Like, we're not bring. They're, they're like, yeah, just the Bible. Like, we're gonna just trust them with the Bible? And it's like, and they're saying, it has made massive difference in people's lives. See, we, and I know I need to trust more and what will happen in my life and yours If you read this book on a regular basis, it'll change your life. They're talking about all the people in churches. They say, we got 90% of our people are serving. 90% that are reading their Bible all the time, they're tithing. They're sharing. It's like, what did you do? do?" They're just reading the Bible. And I'll tell you something else it's useful for. Does our world have a lot of different opinions today? a lot of different views there's even a program called the view right you know a lot of different people say hey this is true this is false this is right this is wrong you think wait a second 30 years ago you you said this was true that was false like there was a time where a lot of people thought that slavery was okay it never was okay right it never was okay and and so in this chaotic world where hey where's truth where truth is relative you know and you're like, hey, what do I believe about these issues? They keep coming at me. Someone at work shared this. Someone at the coffee shop. A neighbor, a family member. How do I know what, what, what does, where I stand on? Right here. <laughs> Grass withers, the flowers fade. This, this book endures forever. Hey, I, I stand right here. I stand right here. Whatever this book says is what I believe. Now, I, I don't live it perfectly, quite imperfectly at times. I don't understand it perfectly. I'm trying to, but I'll say, hey, you know what? If I want to know what I want to believe about any issue, any moral issue, this is where we find our answer and nowhere else. If you want to anchor in this chaotic world, the Bible is it. Amen? And the final reason is because ignoring its authority is very costly and living under its authority brings power and blessings. Understand, there are consequences for holding on to bitterness. There's consequences for stepping outside God's design for sexuality. There's consequences for using your tongue the wrong wrong way. There's consequences for choosing to build your life on the sand rather than the rock of Jesus' teachings. And there are blessings for living under its authority. The psalmist writes, the law Of the Lord is perfect. Refreshing the soul. Could your soul use some refreshing? The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Psalm 19, 7 and 8. Psalm 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted by the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither. They prosper in all they do. The Lord watches over the path of the godly. Our number one core value is we honor biblical authority. Four quick questions. They're very quick, but listen. Question Are we, are you, am I honoring biblical authority by the way we view it, by the way we respect it, by the way we follow it, and by the way we demonstrate by obeying it that it's worthy of our obedience? Number two. Have we, have you and I anchored our lives in any area to authority other than God's Word? Like some somebody, hey, I anchored here, but over here, because I want to live this way, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it my way. Yeah, have you anywhere in your life? Are you are you following the wrong GPS? Are there any areas of our lives where like the days of Josiah where his word is lost, neglected, ignored, or forgotten? Number four, we'll we this day recommit to simply reading the word studying the word doing our best to live by it oh the joys of those who delight in the law of the Lord meditating on it day and night they're like trees planted along river banks bearing fruit each season their leaves never wither they prosper in all they do The word of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Amen. I'm going to pray. We pray us into worship, into communion. Because two thousand years ago, the the word that was with God, the word that was God, gave His life for us because of His intense love for us. We got stand and pray with me, Lord God. We humbly come before you, God. Thank you that you did not leave us adrift in this crazy world without an anchor, without your word to anchor to. And God, I, I pray for each of us. I pray for myself, God, that We will all live more fully under your authority, knowing that you only want good for us. You only want the best for us. And you wrote your word for us so that we can experience that best. And God, I pray as we prepare for communion, as we sing the song about your love, that we realize that the way we demonstrate our love for you is by following what you ask us to do. We love you. We need you. Thank you for your patience with wrong GPS followers like us. In Jesus' name, amen.